0: Hounicon. 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 Hounicon.
1: You're listening to Hounicon Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Hounicon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. During this episode, we'll hear about Oklahoma's Ida's Law as it goes into effect and a new lesson plan on the Pottawatomie Trail of Death for K-12 students. To celebrate Veterans Day, we'll also listen back to an interview with a Pottawatomie Navy veteran who served during World War II. On November 1st, Ida's law went into effect in Oklahoma. Lorinda Morgan, the governmental affairs officer for the Cheyenne and Arapaho nations, spearheaded the effort in state Congress and named it after her cousin, Ida Beards, who went missing in 2015. Citizen Potawatomi Nation showed its support for the bill as a member of the Oklahoma House of Representatives Native American Caucus. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt signed Senate Bill 172 in April 2021, and now the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation begins the task of creating an Office of Liaison and Missing Persons Database for Indigenous Peoples in the state. Morgan spoke with Hannah Podcast on the day the law went into effect and discussed jurisdictional issues, educating law enforcement, and finding federal funding for the office and new positions.
2: We've done a lot in the summer. And so I'm just really happy to get to this point. There is federal funding out there, but it's mostly allocated for, you know, domestic violence programs or um, nonprofit organizations and maybe tribes. Um, That's when I turned to our members of Congress here in Oklahoma and asked, you know, if any of them could help. Instantaneously, I got a response back from uh, Congresswoman Bice's office. They went out and scheduled meetings with the federal agencies and got in, you know, into doors in DC that I couldn't. So that was a great help.
1: Why do you think this has been such a bipartisan, welcomed effort to get this position to help
2: this issue? I think it's because of the nature of the issue and the crisis. I see it as a human rights issue. This is one of those issues that they work on because that's what they're in office for, to try and better the communities and address issues uh, within the communities for their constituents. The funding as it's set right now, the criteria isn't set for states to apply for the funding. So maybe now that they know that states are interested in also applying for these type of, you know, funding opportunities to help address missing murdered indigenous peoples or help do prevention, education, and things like Ida's law is going to do. Right now, I think it's um, under a state agency. It's it's not eligible for those fundings, but hopefully next year it will be.
1: What do you think are some of the most important aspects of this new law and what it's going to do?
2: I think some of the most important aspects of Ida's law is the Office of Liaison for the OSBI is able to assist the law enforcement agencies with the cases and understanding jurisdiction, as well as collecting data and numbers in assisting the tribal families of the tribes with cases and kind of providing information to them about what can and can't be done in investigations and and helping them have realistic expectations of what's going to happen. I just law will be able to help, you know, law enforcement and, and navigate those jurisdictional issues and answer some of those questions. I think that's why a lot of tribal cases have set You know because it's just really difficult to you know maneuver if if a law enforcement agent doesn't know about you know how the jurisdiction is how the boundaries work and who's supposed to help do this and that. Throughout the attempts to get the bill passed Morgan considered the possibility of some of the
1: obstacles she faced being racially motivated the number of missing and murdered Indigenous women and peoples in the United States has been labeled a crisis by the U.S. Department of the Interior. However, while researching the issue, Morgan saw problems caused by the OSBI's funding in general. Once the law was passed,
2: you could go on, you know, any of the news stations in there uh, when they posted anything about IDA's law and read the comments, and see that so many other people from from various backgrounds have gone through the same thing. You know, when I had first went and was doing research and I was talking to the OSBI agents and asking them about their data and how they got their numbers for the missing persons. At the time, because of budget cuts, they told me they only had two agents that did cold cases. Now that was cold cases of all crimes. The OSBI, from what I understand, they, they lack state funding. So um, that was one of the reasons why Ida's law had to be um, administered under federal funding. What do you hope that this law means for the future? God forbid anybody else go missing. But I wish for them that their case, their family member's case, gets investigated thoroughly and appropriately. And what I mean appropriately is um, once they report their loved one missing, that the law enforcement agencies will go out and investigate and do the questioning and do it quickly. I feel like, unfortunately, for Ida's case, um, a lot of that information is probably lost and the evidence is lost. But hopefully for others in the future that, you know, if law enforcement should have some questions and and hopefully we educated a lot of law enforcement here in Oklahoma about some of the issues with jurisdictional boundaries, with some of the barriers and the obstacles that they may have had in the past, that they can now call somebody instead of just trying to figure it out on their own or letting the case sit, they can call the OSBI who may have, you know, who who has the agent there in an the office there, liaison, our voice is not limited to just our tribe and our tribal government and what goes on in our tribal communities. Uh, our voice can also be heard on the state side and on, on the federal side because we are constituents. We do vote.
1: Do you have any final thoughts on the law? Uh,
2: I just want people to know that this bill was not only for Ida, it was for all those families out there that those mothers and those sisters, brothers, fathers that have lost a loved one. I hope that this gives them you know, a little bit of comfort to know that if their loved one has a cold case that's been sitting that you know, this law was created for those cases and for those missing and were indigenous people cases. I understand what a lot of families are going through, and I hope, you know, that they know that this bill is for them. This law is for them.
1: Read more about the missing and murdered Indigenous Peoples Crisis from the U.S. Department of the Interior at cpn.news backslash mmip. In an attempt to meet requests from teachers and school districts throughout the country, the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Department of Education began composing lesson plans about Potawatomi history in 2021. CPN Department of Education Director Tasha Zintek said the first one available now tells the story of the Potawatomi Trail of Death. I'm really proud that we have
2: something to offer educators or citizens now when they ask. How can I incorporate Citizen Potawatomi Nation into our classroom?
1: A panel of primary education professionals and historians, including CPN's Cultural Heritage Center director, Dr. Kelly Mosteller, created the lesson plan, along with college advisors Matt Higdon and Rachel Watson. They used their expertise and experience in education, state standards, curriculum writing, and history. Higdon enjoyed watching educators engage with the material.
3: We also had some input from Norman Public Schools, Uh, Lucy Ann Harjo, uh, the Indian Education Director over at Norman, brought some folks over and so we were able to kind of beta test it with them and they gave us some really good feedback that helped us with the the final lesson plan.
1: The forced removal of Pottawatomie from Indiana to Kansas took place over two months in the fall of 1838. More than 40 of the 859 Potawatomi passed away during the 660-mile journey, mainly due to the harsh conditions or disease. Most Native American history education in the United States refers to the Cherokee Trail of Tears and rarely mentions other Native American communities' similar experiences, and Higdon believes it's time for change.
3: Just by this little sprinkling of, hey, here's a, a, a tribal nation that has a removal story, that you've probably never heard of, and everybody has one. I think that's the main thrust. Let's start looking at at history from from different points of view than just the traditional points of view.
1: In addition to the dates, times, and places, the lesson includes interactive pieces, such as an 11-minute walk designated to represent the 660 miles. Along the way, the students stop for short periods equating to each day along the trail, and here recounts from historical diary entries and written communication. Since Potawatomi traditionally use oral storytelling, most of the primary sources for the lesson plan come from non-Native peoples, which Watson considers a lesson in itself. There's also an explanation for teachers and students as to why these are the only primary sources we have from this era, and I think that combined with the oral storytelling activity really hammers home The way different sources are valued or have been valued by historians and also um, opens the door for those sorts of alternative primary sources that students may not have thought about before the lesson. The department wrote the lesson plan optimally for a 7th or 8th grade classroom. However, they made adjusting it easy for teachers for elementary or high school age students. Oklahoma Educational Standards introduce removal in the third grade, but Zintech highlights the
2: fluidity of the material. The details can become more nuanced or even some of the more gruesome details can be explored in more um, depth the older a student is. But at a young age, people can understand that history is a story and it matters who's telling it. As a
1: final component, the lesson asks students to make an audio recording of their experience on their walk and hearing the historical narratives, putting themselves in the shoes of the Potawatomi forcibly removed from their homelands. Zintec finds it particularly engaging. That is why we
2: have these written firsthand accounts and not the accounts from our ancestors the way we would have hoped, but we're asking students to understand that, experience it, and then become a part of our oral record. The Education
1: Department staff also created a contest to encourage classrooms to utilize the resources and student engagement. They asked participants to send in audio recordings of their reflection on the experience, but Higdon's goals stretch further than the rewards.
3: That's one of my greatest hopes, is that it will, it will start pulling that thread. And we can pull that thread with really young students. I think the younger the better. Early students, if they can start seeing that world that way, it can really open up their minds and open up the potential for education, particularly history education.
1: While the focus remains on the past, the staff also hopes to bring CPN members and Indigenous people into the present day for students through that interaction and inspire them to explore additional resources to educate themselves about the nation and other tribes. Watson looks forward to working on the next lesson plan. I think what's been most exciting for me is that this is just one lesson plan, but it's also only the beginning. Find out more about the CPN Department of Education at cpn.news backslash education or email feedback or topic ideas at college at Access the lesson plans online at potawatomiheritage.com backslash classroom. We're looking back at the Native American Speaks, a former radio show from Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department and KGFF. It ran from 2006 to 2013 with host Michael Dotson, previous Public Information Department Director. In this clip, Dotson interviews CPN member and veteran Jesse Slavin. We're playing it here again to honor Slavin and all military members for their service this month for Veterans Day.
4: Jesse, would you tell us how old you were and what the circumstances were when you first enlisted in the Armed Forces?
5: At that time, I was 17 years old and just started my senior year in... Uh, Shawnee High School? Uh, no, one Wannett. Wannett. Wannett, Oklahoma. I had messed up on the transfer papers. Uh, they, got, they weren't filed or something. I was going to have to pay tuition, and I didn't have money for tuition, so I thought, well... There that goes. I got to looking for a job, and I found a job in Shawnee, Oklahoma. Shortly after that's when my brother got a hold of me, really, and he said, you better, this September or November, you're going to be 18.
4: Doing the math in my head, this would put this around 1942, wouldn't it? 43. 43. I was off by the year.
5: 1943. I went down to the Naval uh, Recruiting Office, and and I said, I'm to join up for the Navy. Well, really, I had to go... Talk to my dad because I was underage. I had to get a parent's consent. Mm -hmm. Okay, and he signed the papers. I brought him back, and I'm pretty sure it was that night I was on a troop train headed for San Diego, California. I took my basic training or boot camp training there at the U.S. Naval Training Center. Also, went to school there for a brief period of time. Told us at first we'd have to go to the Marine Corps base, Camp Pendleton and take some rifle and pistol training. But while we were out there, after we had fired a while, one of the instructors tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, Mr. want you to take some other recruit down here and show him how to shoot this forty five caliber pistol. But I guess he liked what I was saying or doing. About two days later, five of us got a notification we'd been selected as gunnery instructors. (laughs) And they sent me to an anti-aircraft training center at Pacific Beach, California.
4: So you're a 17, nearly 18-year-old, and you're
5: a gunnery instructor In the US Navy. Right. I stayed there till the end of World War II, uh, which ended in 1945, and got my discharge, or they sent me home six months almost of the day, because that time you stayed for duration plus six months. Mm hmm. Middle of 40.
4: August is when the Japanese surrendered on uh-huh. the battleship Missouri. Mid August plus the six months, and then you were discharged. They got me over to February, and then they got me discharged. What uh, was that first day out there at uh, San Diego Live? Anything interesting? Anything? I, can,
5: I can remember the first day a little bit, but I can remember the first night even better. I'm telling you about the first day. We go in in this old flatbed truck. They had come down to the train station, picked us up, and the whole. Well, I think there 180 of us in trucks brought us in. And all we heard, you'll be sorry. And, I mean, we heard that all the way into wherever we were going at that particular time. And we got our clothing and everything. But I, that night, gentlemen, I had never been further away from my house in Lexington, Oklahoma, <laughs> than when I was in Oklahoma City. That's it. Never been any further. And then get aboard that troop train and go to San Diego and, and get off of that and go out. And on that night in the barracks, when they turned the lights out and sounded taps, it's kind of funny now. It wasn't funny then. You could hear kids, we were kids, crying <laughs> all over that barracks. Well, anyway, I got here into. Into Gunnery School and uh, Aircraft Gunnery, Mm -hmm. Pacific Beach, California. And I stayed there from 1943 to 1946, I guess, or thereabouts. And my specialty was 20 millimeter. And we trained everybody. We were trying to deal with the Japanese suicide planes Mm -hmm. at that time. And and we needed more firepower to try to blow those tanks out of the air before they could get to our ships. And and the guns that we had there were capable of doing it. And they didn't have those guns. Yeah. What you guys were doing was very important work for World War II. When they did damage... It was usually major to our ship. I couldn't get away from that training base. I'd get fed up and put in a transfer, and they'd laugh at me.
4: Did this experience make a a young Oklahoma farm boy grow up pretty
5: rapidly? I I think I matured in about two and a half years from a, a kid to a man in a hurry. The position I had may not sound very important to anyone else. I took it as an important Part mm-hmm. To be able to train those those people to fire those guns and repair those guns, we even in our classrooms, before we went out on that firing line, we would take the guns apart blindfolded and put them back together blindfolded or turn the lights If you on. could
4: do that, you knew how to teach somebody how to use that gun, didn't you? Yes, sir.
5: Day or night. You mm-hmm. didn't have to have a flashlight or something up there shining it with mm-hmm. the enemy out there to, to repair your gun. That was the purpose of that. You spent a career
4: after the Army in education as a teacher and as an education administrator. Do you think maybe the roots of what you decided to do with your career came in this
5: experience? Absolutely. I hadn't thought about it a lot, but I love teaching those gun crews. I had admirals in the Navy in my class, and here I am wearing (laughs) a little white stripe on my sleeve to begin with. And I recall, I don't know his name, but I, I don't recall what ship he was. It had to be a carrier or a battleship. Come out there and, and put on coveralls and get out in the grease and dirt and stuff. And here I'm teaching him how to fire that gun and clean that gun and things. So that, I think, helped me a lot when I got back and started my college education. Well, I had to finish high school first. I wasn't out of high school yet. Um, Helped me a lot making my mind up. I I like to teach.
4: Tell me about hearing for the first time about dropping the atomic bombs on August 6th on Nagasaki and a couple of days later on uh, Hiroshima and hearing that
5: uh, Hirohito and Tojo had decided to give up. Prior to that, when they went to New Mexico and set off that first one, that that really bothered me. I had thinking they're going to set that thing off, and they can't control it, and this is it. Well, August 14th, I was on the firing line, but about a week before, when they dropped the first one, I had mixed emotions. I, to me, it just didn't set in my mind how that was going to help so much being over there and here millions of of the enemy between there and here and they still controlled most of the islands Mm -hmm. and things like that. And they dropped that second one. And the word was that at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when we got the news, if you have liberty tonight and you're going ashore, you better go now and get on your dress uniform and get out here because if you don't, they're going to gather you up and put an SP badge on you, and you're going to go down here and see if you can keep order tonight. <laughs> because you know, so a lot of emotion
4: was being, a, a pent-up emotion was being unloose.
5: Absolutely. People were going to be celebrating. And did they ever. Um, that celebration of all celebrations that I've ever been around or involved in, I really just stood back and, and, and kind of watched it.
4: All of the population across the United States had to be relieved as they heard about it. Well,
5: I don't know how big San Diego was at that time, but it was a rather large city. And the ships that were in the harbor, all of them went ashore, and it was just a mass of humanity, uh, all happy and that this thing's over with. <laughs> Uh-huh. Where did you end up? Did, did you get out? Get your dress uniform on and get out of there? I got out early. I, I, I didn't stay long enough for them to put a an SP badge on me. I got out early and went to town. Jesse Slavin, thank you so very much. This has been a
4: 182.5% delight. This is just well, fun talking to you. I sir. appreciate you guys.
1: The Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Cultural Heritage Center Tribal Heritage Project seeks to capture each CPN veteran and elder's story through video interviews to safeguard the nation and tribal members' history for generations to come. Find details on the Tribal Heritage Project at portal.potawatomi.org or by calling the CHC at 405 878 5830. It's time for Learning Language, when the CPN Language Department joins us to teach vocabulary, songs, stories, and more. In this segment, just in time for the holiday season, Department Director Justin Neely joins us for a vocabulary lesson about a specific type of food.
0: Okay, this section is on weas, meat. When you're talking about a piece of meat or a cut of meat, you're going to add weas to the animal. Otherwise, it's like you're eating a live animal. So if you said, like, uh, beady... And to be like you're running over and you're grabbing hold of a chicken, like biting it while it's alive. Also, weas is inanimate. So when we first kill an animal, it is still considered animate. We'll often offer tobacco and thank that animal for giving its life. Once you start cutting the animal apart and separating it from its life source, it is now inanimate. To get real specific about a cut of meat, you usually have to talk about where the meat comes from, such as shoulder meat or ribs. Bashukas, cow meat, weas. This could be a steak, hamburger, but if you want to get more specific, we have uh zhajakwagan, hamburger, zhajakwagan, talking about mashing it down. Cocoyas, cocoas, pig meat, kokoshwias. It's often used for bacon, uh, but it could be used for ham, kokoshwias, or any type of pork, kokoshwias. Msizay weas, weas, turkey meat, msizay weas. Montani wiyas. mutton, montani wiyas. Moto weas, goat, moto And obviously you could take just about any animal and add that weas to it to say that it's that meat of that animal. If you like aspen, you could say aspen weas, raccoon, or iani weas, possum. Saksi suksi saksi weas, deer meat or venison, saksi weas. Cocotny weas, weas, alligator meat, kokotni weas. Bagoch beshuk buffalo meat, Bagoch beshuk ca weas. Shishiba duck meat, shishiba weas. Pucky weas, pakki partridge meat. Pucky. Mshikewias. Mshikewias. Turtle. Mshikewias. Some people make a turtle soup. Mshikewias. Nagesh. Nagesh are hot dogs. Sometimes it can also refer to like sausage. Nagesh. It's literally talking about those intestines because early hot dogs used to put them inside of the casings in the intestines. Nagesh. Kakes. Kakkes. brisket, Kakkes. Tesiogon, gon, Tenderloin, Tesiogon, gon. Washkaduk boam, buam, Ham, washkaduk boam. Uh, literally smoked ham, Washkadeck Buam Washkzoet, washkzoet, smoked ham, washkzoet. Pukwasan, Pakwasan, ribs, pakwasin, And now fish, gigoyuk. Fish are a little bit different. You don't add weas to the fish, so you just say what type of fish you're eating. For example, adikmuk, whitefish, adikmuk, real are up north. Ganoje, ganoje, northern pike, ganoje. quadashi, quadashi, sunfish, Quadashi wasi wasi catfish wasi oge oge walleye, oge ongo dogawe ongo dogawe. carp ongo dogawe shigen shigen bass shigen name name sturgeon name name were really big fish and at one time they used to grow much larger and they were quite a, a a feast for a family. You catch a name, a large sturgeon, you can feed your family for maybe a week. Uh, we even had sturgeon farms where we would catch these sturgeon, We'd put them in little ponds and things close to the riverbank and then just eat them when we needed them. So kind of like a fish farm. Hame. Sawe, sawe, a perch, sawe. nemubne, nemubne, is used for salmon in Kansas. nemubne or a sucker fish. Namubne, and in some communities, Namubne geezus marches sucker moon, which is when the suckers run. Mshkigwe, mshkigwe, a crappie. Mshkigwe, abessi, abessi, an oyster or clam. Abessi, zinakwagashi, Zinakwageshi. a crab or a lobster. Zinakwagashi is talking about its little clampers. How it clamps down on things. So again, the thing to remember here is uh, with meat, you need to make sure you put weas on the end of it. And then with fish, you just have to mention the fish, the giggle. And that's it for weas, meat. Aha.
1: For more information and opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at Pottawatomedictionary.com as well as videos on YouTube. There are also Potawatomi courses on the language learning app, Memorize. Hanukkahn Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find what you listen to. We're also on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at potawatomi.org. That's p-o-t-a-w-a-t-o-m-i.org. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech Bamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.